The following message is entitled, Super Joy's Battlefield of Suffering. This message was given during the evening service on May 15, 2022, at the East Side Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois, by Pastor John Stevens. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, this series entitled A Joyful Salvation. Tonight's title for those that are listening remote is Super Joy's Battlefield of Suffering. Let's read these verses. Verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith, very important phrase, proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. In our outline that I have established for this text, Roman numeral 1 in the note sheet says, Christians are to be joyful despite trials. Letter A, the Christian's joy is supposed to be connected to his salvation and not good times. In this you greatly rejoice. In this series, that's all I have focused on so far is that phrase in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. In this connects the context, point number one under letter A, to the previous passage or section that we studied on the blessings of our salvation, verses 3 to 5. That's what we're to focus on. It is not that this series is not teaching us, Peter is not teaching us that you're to rejoice in being persecuted and tortured. So you're put on a medieval rack as a Christian and they're stretching your limbs until they pop out of the sockets. More stretching. I'm rejoicing in the torture and pain. That's not what we do. That's not what Peter's saying. We're human beings. We're thrown in jail for our faith, as so many around the world are currently and in the past, separated from children, from spouses. There's weeping and crying going on by these believers. But in the midst of the terrible suffering and devastation, we can raise our eyes up to Jesus. And while we are grieving over the over the difficulty of the trials that we're having, we can rejoice in Christ and that he's in control and his wonderful salvation. That's what Peter's teaching. This is not we're sadists that love pain. This is that we are salvationists. We love our salvation. We've seen the nature of joy. It is super joy. This is not the normal word like in the fruit of the spirit, the second fruit of the spirit, love joy. This is in a superlative, it's uh, oligastier, and it's, the idea is this is massive, massive joy that uh, is what we're talking about. Kind of like in the garage sale, I was sitting in the garage, and, uh, and uh, this guy came in, he got out of like this compact car, and this guy was huge, I'm huge, this guy made me look skinny, and I was going, wow, John, take a good hard look at that, because you're fat, that's super fat. You don't want to become like that, see? So that's kind of like what we're to do. We're not just to have joy. We're to have super joy. And this isn't walking around like this. See my joy? This is not a smile on the face. That's not what we're talking about. Perspective number one tells us what we're talking about. 
This joy is confidence, super confidence in our protected salvation and protecting Savior. They can't take our salvation and our Savior away from us, no matter what they do to us. That's what we rejoice in. A carnal Christian can't be bothered with us. Ah, that's boring. I'd rather watch TV tonight than think about my salvation. Thank you very much, John. When's it going to be over? Well, that's understandable because this carnality abounds in the church today, so topics of joy certainly don't please a lot of those who profess to be Christians. Now, number one for tonight. We finished that subject, perspective number one, so let's fill in the blanks for first point underneath that. Tonight we come to the second half of this verse, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So tonight we come to the second half of this joy series, half of this joy series and this verse, the partner of joy, the partner of joy. Yes, suffering is joy's partner. Everybody wants joy. They don't want it if misery's involved. Sorry, this is the only way to get it. The partner of joy is suffering for Christ. Or to put it another way, or the battlefield of suffering upon which joy roams. Or the battlefield of suffering upon which joy roams. You have to understand that when Peter talks about distress by various trials, he isn't talking about the irritation I had when I lost my car keys. He's not talking about somebody who insults you at work. He's not talking about being pulled over by a policeman for speeding when you were keeping the speed limit. That's why I put down there the battlefield of suffering upon which Joy is to roam. Think of this carnage, a battlefield with smoke and destruction and bodies lying everywhere. And joy I am personifying as an individual walking carefully through that battlefield. Write it down. This suffering we're starting to look at is battlefield suffering. This is mega suffering. That's why Peter says that we need super joy for super suffering. This is trouble with a capital T. Write it down under number one. We can't understand this because things are pretty good. So I had a flat tire. I guess that's suffering for Jesus. No, it's not. Thomas Watson, a Puritan, said this hundreds of years ago. Trouble befalls us for our profit. Afflictions teach us. The school of the cross is a school of light. It shows us more of our own hearts. Sharp afflictions are to the souls as the soaking rain is to the house. You don't know there's a leak until it rains. We don't always know when lusts are in the soul until the storm of affliction comes. And then we find unbelief, impatience, carnal fear, and lust in many places. Affliction is a sacred eye salve that clears our eyesight. It brings sins to remembrance that we have buried in the grave of forgetfulness. Wow. End quote. Number two. If you want joy, we must then, if we want joy, we must then look for it on a battlefield of suffering. We know what a couch potato is. Couch potatoes just sit and rot. 
right? We've, we older folks find this with arthritis. You sit down because your knees like mine are hurting or whatever. You sit down and you go, oh. why? Because the pain leaves you. But what happens if you just decide to sit permanently? The other day I was working on my computer at home, on my laptop, and I think I sat nonstop working from like 2.30 to 6 p.m. typing away in my lazy boy. Glorying in no pain until I had to use the facilities and put my laptop on the floor and started to stand up. It felt like an oak trees were going to bust in half. Oh, because sitting in comfort rots you out. Being forced to get up and move gets things going. Now the analogy breaks down with arthritis because yes, moving keeps it from doing that, but the more you move, the more it hurts again. Yeah, I understand that. Got that one. So it's a limited analogy, I realize. But you get my point. We're rotting out as Christians. We have so many comforts. Hmm, what shall I eat tonight? Oleg, in that persecuted SGA letter that I read, a whole town has nothing to eat. They're looking for bread. We've got choices tonight. Is, will, it be suffer, will it be Subway or Panera, Panera Bread or maybe McDonald's or the lines are too long, I'll go to Burger King or Kentucky Fried or I've got to check my calorie counter. It's insane, the comfort that we face and we're just rotting out. So this is like theoretical, folks, for us, sad to say. This is the theory of suffering that we really don't have any clue about. So write it down in number two. Talking about battlefield suffering is something we can't relate to. We have to be honest about this. We can't relate to battlefield suffering. And therefore, we can't relate to super joy. If you don't have battlefield suffering, if you don't have terrible trials for your faith, you really don't understand what joy is. Remember, joy, super joy, walks through battlefield suffering. If you don't have the battlefield, joy has no point walking through there. Joy sits over here, and if joy is just looking at a little beautiful, luscious, blue sky and rolling green grass field from out west, Joy says, uh-uh, what's the point of me walking through there? We're not looking for joy while couch potatoes. Here I sit, Lord, give me joy. Joy is wired for trials. Now we understand that intellectually. I've told people at times some of the issues that I go on with as a pastor, and you could, you could say, okay, I understand what you're saying, but you probably can't understand what I'm going through unless you're a pastor, right? Just like some of your jobs. Ryan, you could tell me about your super safety stuff like you did this morning, or Sue and Rebecca, the craziness going on in your office, but really, I don't understand appointments and scheduling. I've not experienced the pressure and stress going on, psychotic callers that call in, right? Uh, Al at the airport, maybe you've got crazy people that you're working with, that slack offs, and I can say, I understand what you're saying, but I'm not involved with that. So that's the best we can do here, unfortunately. All we can do is intellectually say, we understand what Peter's saying. You're not going to get this joy if you're not in a battlefield of suffering. Are we clear on that? So don't even try to figure it out. Don't even say tonight to God in prayer, 
give me this super joy if you're not suffering for the faith. Now, because of my position, I can pray this. Because I've suffered greatly in this ministry. Okay? Not from you necessarily, but from this ministry I have. Not in a context of going to jail, but in the context of being a pastor and a leader full-time to a church that isn't doing very well. That causes problems, right? You can leave here. And your job isn't attached to this ministry. Is it? No. Mine is, Buster. So I'm always on the sword's edge, wondering if we're going to survive. Which means, will my ministry here survive? It's different. That's all I'm saying. So you could say, I understand some of what you're going through intellectually, John, as a pastor, teacher, full-time, but I really don't understand it. And I could say that with your careers. Okay? But none of us in this room can fully understand what super joy is because you and I aren't in a battlefield of suffering. Who right now, raise your hand, if you're in the midst of suffering for your faith, not because you have couch potato arthritis. Who right now is suffering severely for your faith and it is going to cost you something very potentially this week? Job, finances, could end up endangering your life physically and you're tempted towards terror. Raise your hand. Peter would be standing here and He'd turn to me most likely and would say, well, what's the point? He would probably say to me, John, I don't think anybody here understands verse 6. Well, we can understand it intellectually. Yeah. It's the best I can do. Now, you could enter into the battlefield, and I could more, by choices we make. Right? What would be some of the choices we could make in a non-persecuted environment that would deliver to us more of a mini battlefield of suffering? Anybody out loud? All right, so evangelizing in areas that could cost us. If we just look over a gate of a neighbor and say, hey, Jesus loves you, you need to be saved, I'm ducking in the door, that's nothing. But when it's family members or your boss, all right. I confronted my boss on something this week, and it cost me. Super Battlefield? No, she wasn't going to fire me. But it cost me. You can lose family members. So evangelism is a major way. If we really were upping our evangelistic acumen or skill and abilities and frequency, as we upped our evangelism, regardless of consequences, we would start to feel the battlefield. And then super joy comes walking over to us and say, ah, now I'll enter into your battlefield. What's another way besides evangelizing the lost? Think about the church. What could Christians do 
a church that could bring battlefield suffering. Huh? Admonishment, exhortation, serving like crazy. Because the more you serve, and I can attest to this, the more you're going to get it. Right? Mm-hmm. So, but what do we have going on in our churches? Decreased evangelism, decreased service. Now, I'm not going to scream and yell like I did this morning. Okay? So only one screaming, yelling pastor a day. But decreasing evangelism, decreasing service is a way to back out of the battlefield. I think you get the point. So we're all students in a science lab. We're sitting at desks in the test tubes. Bunsen burners are heating up glass containers filled with battlefield suffering. I'm the professor, and you're just students. So let's start to examine in your note sheet the intellectual nature of battlefield suffering for you plebes and commoners in my class today. I just insulted you if you didn't know it. Letter B, Christian joy is to operate on the battlefield of suffering. We already got that. Four marks Peter gives us. Mark number one. Mark number one. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like, <laughs> oh, I got the giggles now. <laughs> this one is ridiculous. Christian trials, fill in the blank. Are temporary. If we really believed that, we'd walk into the battlefield, wouldn't we? Uh-uh. I start witnessing like that, it's never going to end. And look what it says in verse 6. For a little while. I underlined it for you. Gave you the transliteration into English. Aligon. Guess what aligon means? Just a short while. Now, why would he put that in there? Who is he kidding? Because we need to know this. If you're looking at the carnage of suffering in front of you in the New Testament era, they're being dispersed. They're hated by everyone. The Christians are hated by everyone. The Jews and the pagan Romans. Oh, wait. That's Christians today. Israel hates Jew hates Christians. Jews hate Christians. You would think one of the most persecuted groups on the planet would be in union with Christians, but no. They get persecuted in Israel by the Jews. And the pagans of our world persecute us. We're getting it from all ends. So Peter wants us to realize that uh, in the midst of this carnage of the battlefield of suffering going on in the New Testament, on the authority of the word of God, nothing to be laughed at. The Holy Spirit is telling us this. All Christian trials are temporary. Now this raises a very interpretive, necessary question. What short while? Or what little while? Letter A. Our lives are but a vapor, so short while or little while can refer to the temporary physical lives we live here on earth. That's a possibility. Temporary physical lives we live here on earth can refer to the temporary physical lives we live here on earth. This is not going to be bought by anybody under the age of 40 predominantly. 
We're not going to accept this one if we're young and healthy. At some point in your life, you cross a line in your age, and you wake up one morning staring at yourself in the mirror, and you realize a very sobering thought. There are more years behind me than are ahead. For that thought just occurred to me the other day. No, it didn't. That would make me over 120 years old if that was true. Potentially into the future. I look at my family. My dad died in his early 70s. My mom, I think, was 81 or 82. Um, I could have anywhere from 10 years to maybe 20 years left. If I'm following the genetic course they did, it's all determined by God, certainly. So if you're under the age of 40, this probably doesn't mean a whole lot, but it's true. James chapter 4, go back just a couple pages to the left. James chapter 4. Verse 14. Yet you do not know that your life will be like a vapor, your life will be like tomorrow, you're just a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. See, who doesn't know? Have you ever asked that about James 4.14? Who doesn't know? Go back to verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we should go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Oh, okay. This type of person who is a professed believer, because he's talking to professed believers, okay, you who say, um, that's the context. He's telling the same people who are saying this in verse 7 to submit therefore to God and resist the devil. You can't do that as an unbeliever. So uh, James is talking about professed believers that are really caught up with business plans, finances, retirement, making a profit, finding financial security. Okay? That sound familiar to today? Planning for retirement? Yeah. Got to really pity people like Bill Gates. Multi-billionaire. He's in his 60s. Time's running out on a man and he can't stop it. What happens to all his money? It's a good thought for us who are getting older if we wasted our lives on career or job building profits. That's the you in verse 14, someone who's living for the things of this world. He's really confronting carnality extraordinaire here. These are fighting Christians in verse 1 of chapter 4, lusting Christians in verse 2, prayerless Christians in verse 2, prayerless asking with wrong motives in verse 3, spiritual adulterers in verse 4. Wow. Holy cow, these are really messed up, these professed believers. And in verse 13, they have the clear and undefiled goal of making sure that they plan for the future financially. And yet verse 14 says, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're a vapor. Life is short. So under letter A, short while does not mean that Christians will not suffer continually their whole lives but rather that life is a little while. Write that under letter A. Life 
on this planet is just a little while. Where does the time go? What happened? If you're under 40, you're not asking that. But we who are older better be asking that as Christians. Compared to the eternality of our heavenly abode, this life is a little while. So under this idea, little while refers to the length of each suffering compared to eternity. And that your life is very short. So even if you had continuous persecution, physical endangerment because of your faith in Jesus Christ, even if that was the case, and it isn't usually, constant, non-stop, physical danger and persecution for your faith as a believer, it still is nothing, no matter how old you live to, compared to eternity. So that's the first possibility that Peter is referring to here. When he says these trials are temporary, he could be referring to life as temporary, therefore your trials are temporary. If you were in life, had a life imprisonment as a 20-year-old for your faith. It's kind of sad that this woman's NBA basketball player is in a Russian jail right now for carrying some type of uh, oil marijuana substance. I don't know what it is. But that would be frustrating. And you'd say, oh, you know, my whole career's gone and I'm losing my muscle tone and everything. But what should we say if we were in a Russian jail for the rest of our lives from age 20 to age 80 for our faith? We should be saying every day, I'm re greatly rejoicing in this battlefield of imprisonment for my faith because my life is a vapor and will soon be over. That's letter A. Letter B. But this little while can be referring possibly to we ran out of time. We done run out of time. So, and I got a lot to say under that one. As you can see under letter B, go to the back side. Oh my goodness, look at points one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Now you wouldn't want me to stop, stop this sermon on the back side after half parentheses point number three. That would be weird. That would be very weird. And then you'd be suffering on the battlefield of my sermonic stupidity. Definitely. I am suffering. Why didn't he fill in the blank for me? So we'll pick up a different option. Peter is possibly saying something else. And I tend to side with little letter B on the front side down at the bottom. That what he's referring to is not the shortness of life, but something else other than Jolima who has the notes word for word in front of her. So she's disqualified from this game show. Did you just say it? Oh, okay. Yeah, you can't do that. You've got the notes. What do you think, if you were to guess, would be the other option he's referring to with little while? Just guessing because you really haven't studied the idea. Anybody? Not little life. Fantastic! Sylvia gets the prize. Not little in potency, but little in duration. How can that be? We've got to talk about that. 
How? I thought if I'm going to be persecuted for faith, it's going to be continuous and ongoing. No, Peter's saying not necessarily. So you can fill in letter B, and then we'll pick up the seven points next time. This little while can also be referring possibly to the duration of each trial and suffering. The duration of each trial and suffering. Thank you, Peter, if that's true. We need this. Because in our natural inclination, we're afraid of suffering for the faith. What soldier goes into a battlefield and isn't afraid? I don't see any condemnation of, for the fear of the battlefield. What I see in the scriptures is the lack of joy in the battlefield that's condemned. You can actually be afraid of some sufferings in your life. You have to repent of it still. Fear is wrong. But the greater sin is to face suffering for Christ and be joyless. That's a super sin. Father, as we close this down tonight, we all walk into this world and it's a potential battlefield. Some of us here may face absolutely extreme suffering for Christ. Others, smooth sailing, job, food, sleep, entertainment, fun, relationships, pets. And this has just been a test tube in a science lab that we can't relate to. That's kind of sad because one of the eight great wills that you have told us about in the Word of God, actually in First Peter here, is that we're to suffer. In fact, this epistle, Lord, that you wrote through Peter, every chapter in this epistle deals with the issue of suffering. Wake us up to this, Lord. It isn't that we're sinning if we go home, sit in a nice couch and watch TV. That's legalism again. Establishing a rule that's not in the Bible, as we learned this morning, Lord. Thou shalt never be entertained, you're sinning. No, that's nowhere in the Bible. Help us not to feel false guilt from this series that we should never enjoy life. But rather, Lord, help us to prioritize. What time are we wasting? Are we avoiding suffering? And when we really get hammered for the faith, do we really have great joy? Spirit of God, we need your help. Empower us on this. We can't will up super joy any more than we can will up being a courageous sufferer for Christ. We're weak soldiers. By natural inclination, Lord, we're joyless soldiers. And we're cowards. If nobody's looking, we'll run from the battlefield and be declared A-W-O-L. Absent without our Lord. Our natural flesh drives us, Lord, towards lust and sin, as Tom Watson said, that I read earlier. And our natural inclination of our sin natures is to make us avoid suffering. And to justify our depression. And to excuse our lack of joy. We repent, Lord. It isn't that we glory in the suffering. It's the benefit that suffering can produce in our lives. And the opportunity to experience great joy that we can't have without suffering, Lord. We just can't have it. Unless we've suffered for your namesake. 
May we not compromise our faith and our convictions with family, friends, neighbors, employees, employers, Lord, for the sake of conflict avoidance. May we not compromise our faith. Help us to speak boldly. Pray sacrificially. Repent supremely. Imbibe in the word this week. And we're not looking for hardship, but we know it'll come our way because you'll direct it into our paths. And when that happens, Lord, and we find ourselves standing in a smoldering battlefield of suffering, if we do this week, may you empower our minds to fly with super joy that is supernatural and cannot be produced by our own minds as a reward for being a courageous soldier of Jesus Christ. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.